0: Hello and welcome to the HRD Live podcast. What's your business's stance on employee mental health? Good mental fitness is one of the keystones of success and recent studies have revealed that better mental health in the workplace could save UK businesses up to £8 billion a year. Yet paradoxically, many organisations have not made a committed and sustained investment to mental fitness in the workplace. Perhaps the problem is not knowing where to start. Today, I'm joined by Angie McGrandles, mental health expert, well-being coach and founder of The Mind Tribe to find out how HR can play a greater role in improving workplace mental health. Angie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I've stolen the term mental fitness from you. How do you define mental fitness in the workplace?
1: Mental fitness is about creating positive habits that you practice regularly um, that support your mental and emotional health. So we keep physically fit, we exercise, we go to the gym, we run. A bit like this, to be mentally fit, you need to be doing things that keep your brain fit, that keep your mind fit. And there are lots of things we can do that we can build into our daily routine to up-level our mental fitness. It's about being mentally agile doing things like meditation, breath technique,
0: Mm.
1: mind drills, connecting with people. Your brain is the most powerful muscle in your body. And like every muscle, before you exercise it, you need to strengthen it. You have to know what state it's in. You know, there's no point going to the gym and lifting 30 kilo weights when (laughs) your biceps are only built for 10 kilos. Your brain or your mind is absolutely no different. When you're in tune with your brain, you know how to help it. You know, when it's trying to rationalize things, you're aware of the times it just needs a break or a change of scenery. Mm-hmm. So mental fitness for me is is around having positive mind habits.
0: So uh, it's interesting that you say that. I struggle to think of many people I know who have really nailed that. And I think a lot of organizations are the same as well, mm-hmm. where you go somewhere and you think, they've really got this nailed in terms of getting a good plan in place for, for mental fitness and strengthening it, as you say. Why do you think so many organisations struggle with that? It's, it's almost, it seems to me, that it's because physical fitness is almost easier to to look at and say, okay, that's there, whereas mental fitness seems almost kind of bottomless because like, how do you figure it out? It's almost harder to see. Mm-hmm. So how do you think organisations struggle in that way?
1: I think you're right. I think it's hard for people to identify with poor mental health. Mm. And when we're below par, it's not always visibly clear like it is when we've broken an arm or right. we've got a cold. Yeah, I think the problem, the challenge that organisations have is how to implement a wellbeing programme, where to start. For many businesses, it can be really daunting, a really daunting process. And there's a lot of mixed messages about what workplace wellbeing is. Right. So people don't, you know, people have their own subjective views. Some people think it's massages at lunchtime <laughs> or fruit bowls or sure, most people wouldn't discounted mind. gym membership <laughs> I mean they're lovely things to have they are, but some view well-being in the workplace as a bit fluffy mm. um, and it's more than that, these are really nice things to have but they are very transactional and your well-being needs to be part of your DNA right. you need to be walking the walk as well as talking the talk it needs to reflect your culture it needs to be aligned to your business strategy. And if it's not aligned to your wider business strategy, your big business goals, there's no measurement in place, then you're going to struggle to get senior buy-in and budget.
0: Right. That's the thing. It's, it's, It's kind of, it's almost like they they need that, of course, leadership need that ROI and they to, to see with any kind of initiative what kind of money back am I getting on this. But, uh, you know, a huge amounts of money can be saved. You know, studies have shown time and time again that if mental health was better in the workplace, businesses would save a huge amount. Do you think there's something in the the current kind of understanding of the traditional workplace that, that, that plays into this, the nine-to-five setup that we have now? Is there something in the workplace set up we have now that kind of in, inhibits that, kind of stops mental fitness developing in that way?
1: Definitely. Um, just going back to what you were saying about measurement, though, you're right, there's got to be objectives in place. There's got to be ROI, right. KPI set at the beginning of a programme. This is really important because if you don't do this, then your your wellbeing is not going to be effective. It can be seen as a nice to have. And I think the challenge that HR directors have when they're selling up is they need to be able to demonstrate the impact that the program's going to have and how it's going to influence the success, the growth, and the producti- productivity Sorry, in the business. And for me, it's about getting on the front foot. It's about putting preventative measures in place rather than being reactive. Mm. You know, one in three employees are suffering from poor mental ill health and taking a positive approach to mental health at work can only help you grow your staff and your organization. So you need to start by thinking about your existing culture. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your business culture like? And what type of well-being culture do you want to foster? What is it you want to achieve? How do you want your staff to feel about their place of work? Mm -hmm. And I think once you do that, once you get that in place and you've established that big picture goal, then you can work backwards and you can put in place steps. You can put in place a program, a strategy that's going to help you reach your well-being goal. And your strategy will then reflect your plan. It's really important as well to have an understanding of what your teams' needs are. Right. And what will best support them when it comes to mental health and fitness. So so culture is really important, but I think you know going back to what you said about this current office setup, the whole 9 to 5 structure,
0: mm-hmm. I think
1: the working environment and the way we're working is definitely changing.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: People are looking for more flexibility. They need to accommodate family, Um, personal commitments. People are looking for their work to fit in around their lives now rather than their lives to fit in around their work, which is what it has been like previously. Employees want to feel valued. They want to feel supported. So your staff well-being could be around focusing on things like flexibility as opposed to transactional um, initiatives like massages, like training. You know, things like flexibility is really really important to mm-hmm. to staff well being and how your staff perform their productivity. And you could look at job sharing, working from home, right, flexi right. hours, those kind of things. So again, it's it's down to culture. It's sure. a down to no, it's down to knowing what will best support your staff. It's about keeping an eye on things, doing regular temperature checks. So your plan and your initiatives really do reflect your staff needs and your wider strategy.
0: It's interesting how you say transactional. I, it's a really interesting word to use in this context, I think, and very true because you can put in these plans, like like you say, massages or things that you think might kind of create a temporary solution to mm-hmm. a problem. But it's it's be, allowing people to bring that entire self to work, I suppose. I know it's a phrase that gets bandied around a lot. But things like flexible working that it seems allows someone to be themselves at work, right? Because you feel like there isn't this huge difference between the person outside and inside. But anyway, it, it, it's very interesting, I think. Um, so you talk about culture a lot here. If, if an organisation wants to change their culture, if an HR leader or a people leader wants to go about changing culture but is struggling to do so, tr- trying to find a way to do it, how would you recommend that they try to change their culture to create a better one around mental fitness in the workplace?
1: Well, creating a positive culture and transparency around mental health is key. Right. There needs to be a top-down approach. So your SLT, your senior leadership team, it's important that you've got their buy-in and that they are helping to influence that cultural change Um, and that that they're creating a supportive culture as well that encourages the rest of the business to feel comfortable about talking about mental health issues, um, poor mental health, mm-hmm. you can do lots of different things to change your culture from a well-being perspective. Um, you know, you might want to commit to sign the Time to Change Employers Pledge. Right. You could provide resources and training. Um, encourage your leaders to attend training as well because if you're putting a well-being program in place but only your junior staff are going to the training and, you know, taking part in the initiatives. That speaks volumes about the culture and what your senior leadership team think.
0: It sends a message, like the the ones who are in power, the ones who are at the top. kind of This isn't as important to us. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. It's interesting.
1: So it's it's really important that it is a top-down approach. Um, You know, having it, like I said, it's about being part of your DNA, Having something in your company policy in your company handbook, there are loads of ways of kind of influencing that culture, but I think the big thing is about transparency okay It's about making people know that it's okay to not be okay
0: right, absolutely, and I think creating that space for vulnerability in the workplace is very important absolutely allowing people to accept that as you say it's okay not to be okay It's a huge step but i i I don't know to sidestep slightly do you see many organizations doing that do you think because you do so much work with the mind tribe going into different businesses do you find that that's increasing like businesses being able to say it's okay not to be okay
1: definitely um i've been working with some great businesses that have put steps in place to change that Mm. mental health culture um, to get people feeling that it's okay not to be okay and i think you know one of the key things as well is knowing what the drivers are. Why are people feeling stressed? Why are right. more people being signed off sick? Why are people leaving? It's all linked to culture. Right. So you've got to you've gotta get a clear kind of picture of that. You've got a temperature check. You've got to know what's happening within your business. And Equipping your managers with the right tools, the right training to be able to spot signs is is a great way of doing this as well because they are working really closely with your wider team, your wider business. You know, when you're at the top, you don't always see what's happening on the shop floor, what's happening um, across the business. So, you know, having your key key managers, key people in the business trained is a, is a good way of doing that, is a good way of spotting um signs that things aren't great
0: so having it just run entirely from the top down i think sounds fantastic but so the burden then does that lie solely on leadership do you think in in terms of making a change is it up to leaders to to make that change to make mental fitness more of a priority
1: i believe we're responsible for our own mental health right Only we know how we feel, what feels authentic to us Mm. when it comes to making positive steps to look after ourselves, what we need to do. However, our employers do have a duty of care. We spend such a long time in the workplace Mm -hmm. that employers have a duty of care to ensure that the people who are working for them are not in extremely pressured environments, scenarios, that are gonna impact on their productivity, are gonna impact on their overall happiness, how they feel about the business and coming into work. So, you know, senior leaders, they do have a role to play in this. It has gotta be, like I said, a top-down approach. But in terms of driving forward, it should be collaborative. Mm-hmm. You need to get buy-in across your business. And the best way to do this is to get your team involved in shaping your program, shaping your wellbeing program. Team wellbeing champions in place, people who can help drive your initiatives forward. The biggest challenge I see when I go into businesses is disconnect. Interesting. So okay. disconnect with the senior team, to the management, to the wider team. And quite often... SLT the senior leadership team have an idea they they believe they know what people want they think they know what their team want versus what people actually want they don't ask them they put plans in place and then it's rolled out and then it's harder to get buy-in you know are people bothered about discounted gym membership would people (laughs) prefer training or would they prefer flexible working hours it's really important to ask your staff what it is they want to do those checks and to check in regularly as well because things evolve, new people come in, um, working environments change. Mm-hmm. So that element of disconnect is a challenge for businesses. And I think going back to what you said earlier about, you know, why is it hard for people to get wellbeing programmes off, off the ground? Right. That's That really does link into that.
0: Having that more of an ad hoc approach, I suppose, to each individual. And it sounds difficult, I suppose, that to to pinpoint to each person but i suppose it would just create far more a culture far more conducive to everyone having their input and being more productive i suppose and you do see it all over the place as well people feeling like it is the alienation i suppose that's been created right if you feel as you say that leadership doesn't know what people maybe at the bottom rungs of the ladder are feeling and what they want you feel totally alienated so quickly and it's especially now that we have more generations in the workplace and people who want different things and i suppose younger people as well typically now want to feel more involved with the business that is part of their life their job so to have that disconnect i suppose is is you know hugely damaging i would have thought
1: definitely and Um, millennials coming into the workplace right now there's been a recent um, study into what they're looking for what qualities and what they want out of a job and the company that they work for and they would rather work for a company that has more of a nurturing environment has great CSR programs in place as opposed to getting a big wage so people are choosing Um, their environment and the quality of the business the company that they're working for over a pay packet so it's really important if you want to attract the right talent and you want to retain them as well that you have the right culture and you have the right steps the right programs in place to do this
0: it's interesting you mentioned before how it's identifying the causes in each case as well of, of what's causing mental health difficulties and at this place exactly into understanding what people as you say want from work so younger people now most of them aren't expecting to buy a house they're just, just going to rent forever <laughs> that's kind of the expectation now whereas years ago it would have been very very different so then you need to look at that i suppose as a business leader as an HR person and say, okay, so they're not after an enormous salary, probably, how can I create an environment which, which makes them feel more at home at work? Going so thinking about the places you've been, the different organisations you've visited, what do you think have been the really great steps you've seen taken by businesses? Any particular moves made that just seem really, really great in terms of developing a brilliant culture in that way?
1: Oh, gosh, well, it's
0: probably so So, many. (laughs) So many, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I was at an event a couple of weeks ago and the CEO of Siemens was mm. talking. And um, what, I, what I saw there and, and the, the, what he shared was amazing because he really has created an open, transparent environment when it comes to mental health by openly talking about his mental health experiences. Right. And I think that's helped people within his team to To feel like it's okay Absolutely. not to be okay. So you know that is a great example of top down. Um, I've also been working with a company not as big as Siemens, a recruit com- a recruitment company called Block Recruit, and they have taken an amazing approach across the whole recruitment industry, their sector. So. They have um, started to put in place a well-being thought leadership program that involves their clients right. and involves their candidates. So they want to make sure that the people that they're putting in jobs in businesses are being looked after and their well beings is paramount. So they're working really closely with their clients and with the businesses to ensure they really understand well-being. So they're having seminars, um, lunch and learns with them, they're creating a white paper, right. so they're doing some really cool things to um, influence the wider sector, as opposed to just what they're doing within their own business in isolation. They have got a great wellbeing program in place in their business, mm-hmm. but it's what they're doing across the wider sector that's, um, that I think, really cool.
0: Fantastic. So if a, a business leader wants to get a well-being program off the ground, wants to get it started and has no idea how to do it, what would be your, I suppose, top tips to to, to get that off the ground?
1: I think the first thing you need to do is really think about your existing culture and the type of well-being culture you want to foster. What is it you want to achieve? How do you want your staff to feel about their place of work? And then once you've established this, you can work backwards, putting in place steps, strategy okay. um, on how to reach that goal. So that's kind of the first thing you need to do. Have a kind of clear understanding of what it is you want to achieve. And then collaboration is Really, really important. Staff engagement is really key to make your well-being program succeed. So bring people along the journey with you rather than dictate. Okay. Collaboration is really important. Nobody wants to feel like they're being forced to do something. Right, so sure. get people involved. Ask people what it is they want. Also make well-being part of your DNA. Make it in part of what you do. Include it in your induction packs. Make it right. part of people's PDP, their staff develop you know, staff development programs. Okay. So a couple of businesses I've worked with recently have said, how do you think we should how do you think we should get people involved in the training programs, the workshops that you run? Shall we just get everybody in the business to come along? Shall we ask them to come voluntary? You know, what what's the best way to do this? Mm. And I think a good way of doing it is to make it part of people's personal development part of their training you know well-being training is just the same as sales training or um, any kind of training program you do you're going to get tools from it you're going to get tips you're going to take something away that's going to help you perform better and make you more productive in the workplace so say to your team you know we've invested in you we've put this program in place because we value you and we want you to succeed so we want you to invest your time and go along and give people the option of maybe going to one a quarter, two a quarter, then that way, you know, people are picking the training programs that best reflect their needs, but also they're invested in it as well and they're going to attend. So I think it's great to kind of make it part of people's personal development, part of the investment that you're making in the business and the investment you're making in them. And make sure it reflects your company values as well. When I say make it part of your DNA, you know, what are your company values? Are they aligned to your wellbeing program? Another good tip as well is um, getting your senior leadership team involved, getting the buy-in for them, right. because it's really, really important that they're involved and they believe in it, because if they don't, that just permeates across the business. Um, so it's important that if you're a HR director, when you're pitching your wellbeing program into your senior leadership team, you're thinking about... Big picture stuff. You're using right. the right language that's going to resonate with them, um, and you're talking about initiatives as well that are going to that are going to resonate with them. So, you know, if you you might need to you might need to think about the language you use when you're pitching it in, is what I'm saying, so that you're pitching it in at the right level and you're getting the right buy-in.
0: So, I mean, what, what kind of language might that be in, in terms of what would you think would resonate badly, and what where do you think they might be going wrong?
1: So. I tend to, um, when when I'm going and talking to businesses about wellbeing programs, I really try and get a clear picture of their culture before I go in there and what will resonate with the person I'm talking to, the senior leadership team. You know, if people are very, if it's a very creative team, they might be looking for something that's completely different versus a business that's more process led that's more numbers driven so you might need to go in with lots of stats around how wellbeing um, well-being programs improved productivity how it's improved staff engagement you might need so you might need like existing studies to do that mm-hmm. so where has well-being programs been successful well here's an example you might need to look at your um current setup so you know what's our staff sickness rate and are we measuring what people are, are are being signed off for? Is it related to stress? Is it related to poor mental health? And has that have we seen an in, you know an increase over the years? Um, are we spending more money recruiting people because our staff retention is really low right now? So it's about you know understanding what the challenges are in the business and aligning that to your well being program and making sure that what you're presenting to Um, to your senior leadership team is a business case rather than a nice to have. And this is how we'll measure it. This is what it's going to do. This is the impact it's going to have on the success of our business. So if you go into your business leader and you say, listen, I think, you know, we're going to run some meditation classes and they're going to make everybody feel a lot better. You might not get the same buy-in as if you go in and you show some hard facts and figures and some stats and evidence of how you can measure it and how it's going to influence and impact on the wider business.
0: I think it's kind of it, increasingly as well, it seems that that's HR's uh, number one strength, I suppose, or, or will be as soon as having that backing for these initiatives, having that hard data, because that's what a business needs to see. Exactly. Of day, you know?
1: I mean, you know, HR teams have got such slick setups right now. They can call, you know, information up really quickly and um, share that. So it's, it's about, you know, having that information at your fingertips and thinking about, you know, the language you use. You know, if if your senior leadership team are not going to um, buy into things like meditation and mindfulness, don't talk about meditation and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Talk about, um, you know, neuroscience training and my brain training and things like that because some people just need things to be packaged up slightly different for it to work for them
0: it's very interesting i think again it comes back to language as well doesn't it listen this has been absolutely fascinating before we i I need to let you go and change some more businesses i think but (laughs) um what would be a a kind of a final word from from you to out to, to hr leaders people leaders out there listening who want to make that change how should they get started
1: just small goals small things small changes um, but it is about knowing kind of your, you know, making sure that your wellbeing program is aligned to your big business goals because Wonderful. that will help get it off the ground.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Angie, for joining us. It's really been insightful and I hope that our listeners go and action these things, but thank you and hopefully we'll uh, you'll be able to join us again on the show soon.
1: Excellent. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Be sure to subscribe for a new episode every single week. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye bye for now.